0: To turn the tide on infant and under five mortality in an entire country, it takes a community. Now, that may seem obvious, but as the scope of Project Fives Alive was first being determined, the focus was more on what was or wasn't happening in the country's health system at the point of care and how less than optimal processes might have been contributing to childhood threats such as malaria and pneumonia. It didn't take long to realize one needed to also better understand and learn about what was happening outside health care's walls to to appreciate a multitude of factors putting pregnant women, new mothers, and their infants and young children at risk for unwanted outcomes. Also, and this is very important, to appreciate the people and resources that resided in the community that could help make a difference and drive change. This pivot in Outlook is just one of many critical lessons learned and now captured in a fabulous new publication called Lessons Learned from Ghana's Project Fives Alive, and that's easily downloadable from IHI.org. Adaptive Design and its Real-Time Applications in Ghana and Lessons for Improvers Working Really Anywhere in the World is what we're going to explore on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you bi-weekly and you can also find us later on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer Madge Kaplan and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. I want to thank you all for joining us us today. And a special shout out to all our international listeners who signed up and um, will be tuning in from far and wide. We have a full house of a panel today coming to you from multiple locations, including Africa. So I don't want to waste a second. I'll introduce this amazing team in just a moment. But first, here's IHS
1: John Gothier
0: with reminders about how to make the most of your time with us on today's program.
1: John. All right. Thanks, Madge. Uh, Just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of your screen is our chat window and if you tuned into the program before you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat it's also where you can ask our panelists your questions so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when madge opens up the floor to questions this allows our panelists and your colleagues on webex to see all the questions and comments being shared Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listening to WIHI by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable Internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio hiccups, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. But a simple solution to any hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. We have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slide, I'll provide a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WHI and we could use your help for that. Please take some time after the program to fill out our quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right. Thanks. If
0: you like to uh, tweet during the program or afterwards, please use at the IHI in your tweets that way we can bring others into the conversation. All right, I want to get right to uh, introductions. I'm going to, first, we're going to start off uh, with our group joining us from Accra in Ghana today. NECA mobisan Atuk is Executive Director for the Africa region at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Through her leadership, IHI has dramatically expanded its efforts at building sustain- sustainable, excuse me, change in healthcare delivery systems in Africa. NECA is a pediatrician by training and we welcome her from Ghana today. Hello, NECA. Hello, NECA. This is our further... It's, Hello, everyone. Okay, good. Thank you. Just it's just roll call now, so that's good. Hi, NECA. Now, sitting next to NECA in Accra is Soji Soji Teti. He's currently IHI Senior Technical Director for the Africa region and Director of Project Fives Alive. Soji is a public health physician, immediate past Vice President of the Ghana Medical Association, and he writes a weekly column online and in the daily graphic, which is titled Affirmatively Dis. I love that. Welcome, Soji. Hello, March. Fabulous. Okay. And rounding out the group that's in Accra today, we have Nana Tuamdanso. She's the founder and chief executive officer of Maza. That's a new social enterprise to provide reliable and affordable transportation for health emergencies in rural Ghana. Nana is a public health and preventive medicine physician. She was recently a senior program officer at the Gates Foundation, and before that, she headed up Project Fives Alive. She was in Soji's seat. So lots of vantage points, and we're so glad you could be with us today. Nana, welcome. Thank you, Madge. Wonderful. We're going to go now to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where we welcome Kavita Singh Angechi. She's a faculty member in the Department of Maternal and Child Health at the University of North Carolina and the Senior Technical Advisor for Maternal and Child Health for the Measure Evaluation Project. Kavita is currently the lead evaluator and has been for Project Fives Alive. Welcome, Kavita. Thanks, Matt. Fabulous. And joining me in the studio, somebody had to sit in this room with me, is Pierre Barker. He's a senior vice president at IHI. He's responsible for large-scale health systems improvement initiatives outside the United States. Pierre initially served as in-country director of IHI's South Africa projects and then as head of IHI programs in low- and middle-income countries. Welcome,
2: Pierre. Thanks, Mitch.
0: All right, NECA, we're going right to you, and uh, thank you all, our audience. Uh, We uh, invite you to chat in questions and comments uh, as they come to you during this first half hour, and then we'll turn to uh, your contributions and address them in the second half hour. We're so glad we're doing this show. NECA, as IHI's lead on our partnerships in Africa and against a backdrop of Millennium Development Goals that are impacting women and children. Um, it's, I'm going to turn to you to ask for the significance of what Project 5's Alive has achieved on the ground in Ghana and as important, learned along the way. Soji will get into some of the details and talk about uh, adaptive design, but some big picture thoughts, uh, Neka, and welcome again.
3: Thank you, Madge. I think you know as we, as we look at uh, what we've been able to achieve through the Millennium Development Goals, and as we near the end of 2016. And we reflect on what countries have been able to achieve. Obviously, there's been great variation um, in the achievements of these countries, particularly in SDG 4 and 5. And we recognize that for the countries that have achieved significant improvements in these areas, we've got to understand really what's been critical to their success. And I would say there are probably three main areas um, where they've been able to, that they've been able to focus on that have enabled them to achieve dramatic improvement um, in, in, in outcomes. One is leadership, this notion of really having the will to achieve dramatic improvements all the way from uh, the head of of, one of these national systems all the way down. The second is around um, innovation and, and what it takes to essentially harness innovation at the community level, at the frontline level, and all the way up to test innovations and then to implement. And the third is around partnerships. Um, and essentially leveraging different partnerships across different health arenas and beyond health um, to effectively drive improvement. And cross-cutting all of this is a significant and a strategic investment in improvement capabilities. Um, really kind of focusing on what it takes to build a cadre of, of managers, of leaders, of frontline providers who are able to effect systematic and sustainable change uh, in, in, in care delivery. And so when we look at, it, at Project Five's alliance and what it's been able to achieve, I would highly would say that it's been able to essentially leverage these different areas. It's focused on, on leadership. It's essentially, essentially aligned itself with the national priorities in terms of uh, the focus on MDG 4 and 5. Um, at the second level, it was very much about leveraging innovation. Um, it's essentially leveraging innovation from the community. Um, all the way to the senior level, senior leadership levels, and testing those innovations using QI methodologies to test uh, those in- innovations and then to, to implement uh, what works at a large scale. But the third piece was this notion of partnership, Partnerships, par- partnering with the community, partnering beyond the community, looking at the social determinants of health and identifying those areas and where partners played a key role in, 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 in contributing to transformations in, in, in uh, uh, healthcare care and, and essentially building on those. And then cross-cutting that while just investing in capabilities. Project 5 Alive has demonstrated what it takes to invest intentionally in capability, again, at every level of the system and focusing on, on the patient and the community at the center of all that. And that's why we've been able to see dramatic improvements um, um, in Ghana. Uh, and I think what's been really interesting for, for me is, as the lead for, for Africa, obviously, we are now working in 13 countries um, in Africa supporting different systems at leveraging quality improvement methodologies to a true transformational change in healthcare. Um, the private side of stands out um, in terms of what it's been able to achieve and this focus on um, capability building. And I think. For the globe, for the world, it, it's become more or less um, an ad hoc learning lab uh, for the world in terms of demonstrating uh, what it takes to achieve uh, sustainable improvements.
0: Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Appreciate that opening framing, uh, NECA. uh, That will help throughout uh, our discussion today. I'm going to turn now uh, to Soji. Uh, We don't get to celebrate very often the impact of a quality improvement initiative on 80% of a country's public hospitals, but we do now. So this is, of course, not a five-minute story, but a seven-year one. But uh, under the rules of engagement for WIHI, help us make the connection between uh, this high-level achievement and the adjustments that you were making all throughout uh, that proved key. We sliced into this uh, show by deciding that we would look particularly at adaptive design. But I really want to encourage everyone uh, to, you can pick up on all sorts of themes. Uh, in in the guide, adaptive design is the one that we hope uh, we, we can get into just a bit more on the show. Thanks Soji.
4: Thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, thinking through adaptive design and, and looking at projects as a life there are seven key areas that I can I can think of. The first has to do with the fact that originally we still look the we're thinking of malaria, pneumonia and uh, diarrhea. But then over time we realized that we had to adopt a systematic approach, asking get teams that we have formed to focus not just on the direct medical causes of mortality, but also on the root causes which affected you into the center issues about delays and prompt care and protocol issues. So, the second has to do with the alignment which Mekka has already referred to. And alignment just with the MDGs four and five. But specifically, with an opportunity we saw where within the health system attempt to roll out the postnatal care policy. PFA did not set out to help the Ghana Health Service to implement it in policy. But because we saw the opportunity and we saw the sense which is aligned with improved outcomes, we really partnered the Ghana Health Service to show that really it was feasible to see children within the first uh, 48 hours of life. And at this point, that um, policy is scaled up nationwide. So that has to do with alignment with national priorities. The third issue really has to do with the data for such a large scale work. And often the confusion is between whether to use independent data sets or to um, run an integrated program. And we started off really collecting our data independently. Basically because some of the indicators that we're looking at were not routinely being reported. But as we increasingly thought about operating at scale, it became obvious that this approach would not be sustainable. So then we started working within the routine data system. Of course, with all its data challenges, which leads us to the fourth adaptation, in that the project then had to develop a specific guideline for improving the quality and reliability of the data systems. And it at national scale, partnering other organizations in the country to Data quality improvement at national scale, and it's been really fascinating the kind of protocols that have been adapted out of this work. I'll jump onto to the fifth bit, which is that up until 2012, over four years of implementation, the strategy had been heavy at the facility level from health centers or health posts, health centers, hospitals. but there was a sense in which we felt we were not engaging directly with the community, and then the linkages were also not being tackled adequately. So that then led us to the referral component of the work. which then brought community members into the project. So at this point, when we scale that nationally, you'll find out that quality improvement teams at the sub-district levels have community members. And these are local government officials, private transport owners, traditional rulers, who are opinion leaders within their communities, who are now part of the decision-making process. And it's fascinating to see how they are engaging with um, the health system um, professionals on how to improve the level of care. The third one has to do with skills. I've already talked about the fact that we were starting off from a disease focus. But when you have addressed the demand issues, the level of demand for care, and yet certain outcomes are not responding the way you, you you expect, then your focus becomes on the quality of the facility-based care. And then you cannot questioning the clinical skills. Because perhaps this, the assumption has been, if you got people into the facility, the professionals knew what to do, and they would do it. By two years to the end of the project, we started challenging that. And that led us to the Gates Foundation, flexible as usual. We got some additional resources. And now there's a definite clinical skills components. where we are providing what Jotaibo is calling high dose, low dose, high frequency, which is a little training on site with all the people involved, not just a couple of people with follow up mentoring support and the results are you know still coming in but it's it's very exciting to see how this center piece is being embedded within the QI approach. That then takes me to the seventh and the final adaptation, which has to do with the capacity building programs you that Mecca referred to. You would notice that at the beginning of the project, perhaps the most prestigious QI training program that anyone could refer to was the IA program, the improvement advisor professional development program, you know. But this is a 10-month program, and at national scale, looking at the capacity that had to be built, we did not have the luxury of 10 months and the cost involved and so on and so forth. So then we have to work, that is IHI, working with all our partners to come up with this, a and week improvement coach curriculum. So we sort of have a standardized approach, and by this point, really the, the project of this have gathered enough experience to be able to deliver content on their own. You know, So this also has to be an adaptation where now there's a very structured way in which training can be done with a lot of relevance for the local context. Now, so I'll end up by talking a little bit about impact in terms of results. As of May 2013, we had done a national kit lap, we talked about 80% of public facilities there are about 134 facilities. And between May 2013 and March 2015, if you look at the data, within the 134 hospitals, we have about 35% reduction in under five mortality. And if you look at the infant rate, over 50% reduction. And then you see a strong correlation within the malaria protocol adherence, over 80% adherence, and then we see a 36% drop
1: in deaths
0: Whoops, did we lose you? Soji there? Yeah, we lost him. Ah, uh, okay. Sochi was uh, talking (laughs) an important punchline in the results. All right, well, we'll get everybody back uh, in just a minute. Uh, Some very um, interesting uh, challenges. Of course, we're we're connecting with our group uh, via Skype, so stand by. We'll get everybody back. We'll let Sochi finish up and then hear from uh, Nana. Uh, Kavita, I'm gonna turn to you, if that's okay, right now. Um, And as the evaluator, and um, Soji laid out a lot of uh, different adjustments and changes along the way, and um, we oh, you're, that means your role as an evaluator uh, has to be adaptive uh, as well. So how did you keep track and uh, kind of ride this whole thing with so many elements uh, in play? Thank you, Kavita.
5: Thanks, Madge. As SOZIE explained, um, Project 5's Alive uh, began with a small scale, Wave 1, and basically expanded nationally. Along the way, there were adjustments made. So a key thing for the evaluator is to be in close contact with the implementing team, um, to understand when adaptations are made and why and our role is to be, you know, we must be flexible. Uh, we don't want to interfere with implementation, but we want to understand it and adjust our evaluation accordingly. Um, initially, when we first um, joined as the evaluation team, we had a set of evaluation questions to answer and we worked on these questions closely with the implementing team. And as adjustments are made, we go back to those questions and see if those are still the key questions or Is there any need to add additional questions uh, based on changes in design? I think another key thing with this type of project is that there are many phases. It's complex, and we have to think about appropriate methods for each question. Um, And with the methodology, we need also to think about data sources. Um, So Sodi mentioned using the data from Ghana's routine health information system, um data that each facility collects and that data is then compiled um, at a district and then a national level. Uh, so we actually do also use that data for our impact evaluation. Um but then when you know so we talked about the referrals uh, project and component of Project Fives Alive. And with that, um, you know, we discussed that closely with the implementing team and found that we really needed not just to rely on facility-based data but population-level data because we needed to understand who was seeking services and who was not, uh, who was accepting referrals and who was not. Uh, So in that instance, it was really important to get at barriers for those not using services, and this information was very important uh, to Sozi and his team and thinking about um, a change package for the referral project. Um, so with this type of question, we needed household data, uh, population level household data, and also some qualitative data to really understand um, barriers to seeking services for maternal and newborn complications. Um, and in addition, um, you know, there are other questions that were really key that needed qualitative methods. For example, looking at team functioning, uh, looking at how QI teams were involving the community, uh, we found that it was really essential to get in-depth qualitative data uh, to thoroughly answer those questions. So I think as an evaluator, being open to adjustments and ver- working closely with the implementing team are really key issues. Also, being very thoughtful about appropriate um, methodologies and data sources um, and using a combination of existing and primary data collection, uh, I think were really key. Another nice thing is that this is an ongoing project and ongoing evaluation, and we always have a chance to share our findings uh, with the implementing team, Uh, and they've been always very thorough in looking at what we send them and asking further questions um, and seeing how evaluation results can be used to help with adapting, as needed, any design.
0: Kavita, what uh, quick mm-hmm. thank you very much. One question I have is do you think that you have learned some things over the course of the several years with this initiative that will now come into play or perhaps already do as an evaluator uh, of projects like this or have some similarities um, where there's going to be probably a lot of learning on the ground uh, that then uh, leads to uh, needs for adaptive design. Do you think it will, uh, it's already affecting what you do?
5: I think it does. And I think um, one big learning. Um, issue is the scale-up phase. So when you look at a pilot phase, you're looking at a small number of facilities. But when you're going to scale, you're looking at a massive number of facilities. And as evaluators, we want to look at, you know, if the intervention is leading to changes in key outcomes, but also how. And sometimes the data for how is, is not, you know, routinely being collected. Like, we want to know, you um, you know, what it is about the intervention. Is it the specific changes? Is it how many um, site visits are made? Is it, you know, who is leading the QI team? Um, So collecting that data, it does take time and effort, but it's really crucial in getting at the how. And I think it is more challenging in scale-up phases. So I think one learning, you know, we can share is that um, when you're thinking of scaling up, think about, you know, the data needed to answer um, the questions of how how is the intervention working when you're dealing with a larger number of facilities or a larger number of districts?
0: Okay, thank you very much, uh, Kavita. Really, really appreciate that. So, do we uh, well? Do we get our trio back? They came in and went again. All right, we're going <laughs> to. They'll be back. I'm sure of it. Um, all right. So I'm going to turn now uh, to Pierre. And um, Pierre, maybe uh, as as we're waiting for folks to rejoin us. Tell us, I want to make sure people really got, uh, first of all, go. I want somebody to say it loud and clear, the results of this uh, initiative um, in terms of, uh, so far, I don't want people to miss the punchline uh, in the details. And then I'd l- love it if, before you talk a little bit about the relationship to around large system change, what are and were some of the really important uh, community discoveries and interventions that sort of started to reroute things?
2: Sure. Thanks, Madge. Yeah, I, I think the uh, importance of this project uh, really is, is, is really phenomenally uh, crucial for our understanding on a number of levels. As as you're asking, Madge, in terms of the impact, uh, many countries are on a, a good trajectory uh, around the world now in terms of making improvements uh, around the Millennium Development Goals. And so we have to look at these results in, in the context of a background of, of of improvement generally that is coming from another a, a number of different uh, uh, sources. But I think that if you look at the the graphic uh, that that demonstrates the the essential results around um, uh, the spread phase of this project, where um, a number of new hospitals were introduced, uh, you can actually see um, the um, the the inflection of the graph uh, changing... Uh, very significantly, uh, you can see it up on the screen now. Um, the 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 project uh, expanded um, in uh, May 2013 to include uh, a, a number of new regions, a, a whole slew of new hospitals, and you can see that there was an existing uh, sort of very slow decline uh, in in the under-five uh, mortality rate, which then, as you would expect, uh, with with an improvement collaborative gains hold over a number of months, and then you see a a very convincing inflection. And and to see this kind of inflection at a population-wide level is pretty dramatic. So I I think that that is the sort of the the key takeaway about uh, showing the impact of expanding a very uh, well-tested change package at a a, a stage where you're moving pretty fast across a country. And to see that kind of an inflection... By contrast, if you look at the uh, malaria um, uh, case fatality rate, it's less convincing that, in fact, there was a, a specific effect of the Project Fives Alive, um, uh, the, the, which speaks to our, our, the, the importance, and cavita has been helping us a lot with this, is just to try to determine what else is happening uh, in the country at the time. There were clearly some improvements that were happening with malaria. Project Fives Alive had a tremendous impact on on, on uh, certain aspects which we can really point to.
0: So in one of the design, maybe John can put this uh, closer look design adaptations uh, up here. Number three on that page, uh, this, this is taken from the guide, by the way, that you can get from IHI.org. We actively included community members and sub-district quality improvement teams. That includes mothers, traditional birth attendants, opinion leaders, licensed chemical sellers, private transport operators, gender activists, youth leaders, local government f- officials, et cetera. What are we talking about here? What difference did what, what happened yeah.
2: here? So this is definitely one of the most exciting moments of, of um, my, my experience with this uh, project was going uh, to the launch of this new type. And this is actually quite a dramatic departure from the conventional breakthrough series for IHI. Uh, you know, we often encourage uh, teams to include a community member just to to bring in the voice of the patient. This really flipped this on its head where we said that the, the primary members of, of an improvement team will now be uh, drawn from the community. And, by the way, you need to include a, a, a care provider to give you some context uh, uh, from from the facility. So that was a, a very exciting moment to see that uh, complete switch around. Um, the other exciting part for me was was just seeing the applicability of of the, uh, the suite of, of improvement tools that we normally use in a breakthrough series working seamlessly and well in the community setting. So I was present when uh, these community members were able to do process mapping. Uh, we were able to do root cause analyses. and and able to uh, very quickly uh, sort of home in on gaps in in performance in in ways that we would expect clinical teams to do. And it was a a dramatic proof of concept for me that you can really take the breakthrough series deep into the community and and see uh, a similar um, a benefit. Uh, so I, I'm very encouraged by what we saw, and I think that that's a, a real breakthrough.
0: Okay, I see that Nana is trying to get back on, but she's uh, not, not there yet, so we'll, we'll keep talking here. Uh, in that space, I guess, of those interventions, would you point to, and this community engagement, would you point to any uh, one or two or three things that you think really I mean we're we're talking about you know community by community you know across a, a big swath of the country um, what were some of the key things that needed to be bridged uh, in order to start to get these big yeah. population-wide results
2: well the, the reason that the the Gates Foundation um, uh, gave us this opportunity uh, to expand into the community is that there was a very specific problem, and in fact this is something that Nana is now dedicating her, her, her life and efforts to, um, which is the problem of getting mothers from uh, their homes to a place of care. Um, this is a huge issue which, uh, which transcends uh, a number of cultural issues, but, but in particular um, uh, has to do with um, real barriers to transport, uh, financial barriers uh, in getting moms uh, to a place of care, either when, when they're uh, in, in labor uh, or if they have a sick kid who they need to bring uh, to a hospital. So that's the sort of the primary pro- uh, problem that we were trying to solve. Some of the solutions that came out of the community were really uh, exciting and interesting. And I remember one in particular was um, uh, one of the the team members was from the taxi association. Um, And and the taxi drivers who were coming from these very remote areas um, uh, were having to bring these mothers with an uncertainty as to whether or not they were going to be paid. And and one of the arrangements that was made was to allow, if the taxi driver agreed to bring a a, a pregnant mother uh, into the uh, place of care, they would be given the first uh, place in line uh, for taking patients or or customers back. Uh, And so they would skip the the line of taxis uh, as a reward for bringing these mothers. So this was a, a change idea that came from the taxi drivers themselves and then and became uh, uh, routinized. So that's just an example of yeah, the no, sort of things that we that's have. Yeah, uh, no,
0: but that's the granular stuff that really, really makes a difference. Um, Kavita, let me turn to you. Um, uh, again, we're still hoping we'll, we'll get the gang back. Uh, we're also going to be turning to your questions and comments. Uh, I know that Nana, um, given the role she's played, she was in Sochi's job, and then she was at the Gates Foundation, and now, related to what Pierre just said, she's going to be working on emergency transportation options uh, in uh, particularly rural Ghana. But, Kavita, were there some changes that you became aware of uh, as an evaluator that really stood out for you um, as far as particularly this community piece?
5: okay um so definitely we would find that coming up again and again um, in our in our work in our evaluation findings um, we often found other issues for um, you know, distance, which is related to transport, but sometimes health worker attitudes, um, sometimes mother-in-laws or or husbands. Um, you know, women would need to seek permission from them first. Uh, so that often came up. Uh, so we are exploring some analyses now on the role of you know husbands and mother-in-laws um, in referral processes. Um, As an evaluation team, we're also really excited about um, looking at this new adaptation of of involving a community member on the team and comparing teams that have a community member with those that don't, you know, those teams that take more of the traditional uh, approach and seeing if involving that community member um, betters outcomes than the traditional approach so we currently have some end data that we're looking at for the referral component of the project um, to seeing if this new innovative approach is more effective than the traditional approach uh, so that's you know a particularly exciting question for us to look at
0: thank you very much um nana i've told that i should call out your name and that you might be there nana are you there not hearing her yet. Okay. Well, well, we'll keep trying on that. All right. Nana may appear at any second here. but Reappear, I should say. Uh, but, Pierre, all right, talk a little bit about uh, adaptive design and sort of its implications for the broader improvement community. Go ahead.
2: So, this was a very very important uh, project uh, for us at, at IHI, and I think what it showed was was two things. One one was that it's possible to do uh, such an ambitious large scale uh, program where you're where you're essentially trying to uh, get improvement uh, right across a nation, uh, and secondly that it's hard to do it. <laughs> I think those are the two things that I think we could take away. But I think this was IHI's first uh, opportunity to for, to co-design a national improvement program, really right from the very beginning, from its inception and concept, and take it all the way through all the stages uh, to implementation. And that's why this is such a terrific example for us to to learn from. And I think uh, a lot of those lessons have been captured so well uh, in the guide. I, I would say um, uh, one of the things that I would highlight is the, the, uh, the, the different adaptations that we had to make along the way, particularly around the design of the scale-up. So the first example I would point to would be in, in our Wave 2, um, uh, we, we were going from, proto- from a set of prototypes in, in, in three of the uh, provinces. To um, testing scale up uh, across the uh, across the three northern regions, and when we had a plan to do this, um, to to move across in about 18 months, there were two things that happened. Uh, one was that we we realized, and because we're holding ourselves to, to keeping to a very small internal team and trying to uh, uh, build the capability of the of the, uh, the government health system to do this work improvement work on their own. Um, is that we couldn't provide the intense uh, support that we had provided for the prototyping. And so we had to really slow down and build the capability um, uh, within the government health system uh, in order to be able to do this. And Kavita actually helped us evaluate whether that government-led improvement effort run by their own agents was as good as the uh, as the improvement that, that we were uh, trying to nurture uh, with our own uh, project officers. So that was a very important learning step because there was no way that we were going to get across the entire country unless we built the local capability. So I think this idea about building local capability ahead of your, your scale-up, just ahead of your scale-up, uh, and slowing down to make sure that that, 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 that that they have the capability to do that was a was very important learning. A second and very interesting thing happened uh, when we felt that we were ready to move south, um, the, the regional government said, no way, you're not going anywhere, you're <laughs> your job is not done, you haven't really dealt with the issue of sustainability. So that was really quite a good thing. So uh, the, the design started to be influenced by uh, the government themselves. And so they um, increasingly played, played an important role in helping us to adapt our design to their needs as they increasingly understood what we, what we were trying to do and what we were trying to transfer to them. Um, and they became then the strongest advocates of the Project Fives Alive uh, as we started to move south.
0: All right. Well, that's great. Um, I think, you know, there are, I, I want to encourage folks to start asking questions and comments. Uh, we're into that part of the program. However, I am thrilled that <laughs> I see a little phone icon <laughs> up there on the screen, which tells me that maybe Nana has reconnected with us. Nana, are you there? All right, I see, I see. If I can hear you, Raj. Right? Fantastic. Well, we see you here on the very lovely photo. So Nana Tuamdanso has joined uh, of our group in Accra. And Nana, you, you probably missed uh, most of what we've j- just been talking about. We were talking about uh, adaptive design and changes and community interventions and how Kavita, as an evaluator, sort of uh, rode this uh, wave, these waves and changes um, uh, and Pierre also talking about these important, almost granular uh, things that happen uh, and, you know, just adjustments made along the way. So from your perch, I guess in our time now, talk a little bit about you moved from the project to that of, at the Gates Foundation as a program officer. So what does it look like, I guess, from the funders perspective um, to also stay with a project like this uh, in terms of adaptive design?
3: Yeah, much. Um, this uh, project Science Alive was uh, fairly unusual in its design and funding structure in 2007 when it was first with the Gates Foundation. I learned more about that when I arrived at the Gates Foundation. The, the unique thing about this from a funding arrangement perspective is that the focus was on impact, high level impact, and there were very clear metrics of success that were agreed very early on with in IHI and the Gates Foundation. And I think most importantly, there were some key milestones in, um, early on in the first three years. There was a milestone on month six, another milestone on month 18, and another one on month 36. And those were agreed upon in the grant agreement. And those milestones set the pace and the tone for testing and learning and being able to assert progress. And IHI found these milestones quite invigorating in terms of setting the the, the direction, and from the Gates Foundation perspective, it was good for risk management because it was such an unusual grant and unusual structure that the milestone moments gave both parties a chance to pause and reflect: Are we making progress? Are our assumptions right or wrong? What do we need to redesign? So I think that initial um, grant agreement from 2007 really set the tone and allowed IHI to uh, learn and test and come back with revisions um and the gate foundation was very responsive um while i was at ihi i found the gate foundation very responsive and when i got to the Gates foundation i found the same thing the key really is setting expectations and being and um, being in touch with each other regularly what's being learned and a lot of the assumptions that were put in the project proposal initially were not validated and it was important for the grantee to come back to the funder to say you know what this isn't working what we thought What happened isn't happening. Could we have an extra six months to test it differently, or can we drop that altogether and add something else? And listening to the health workers at the clinic, hospital level, and in the larger health system at the national level, we learned more about them and their needs from working with them on a regular basis that we did not know at the time the proposal was written in 2007. So really, it was organic. And I think the grant agreement gave the foundation a chance to be a better listener. And adjust and be able to give IHI the room you needed to have in order to do the work to the best of their ability in the context. Um, I would like to add that in addition to adjusted design, oftentimes the budget itself had to revise multiple times. In addition, there was budget extension, a few, a few budget extensions actually, because a national scale project of this kind. I don't think I have sufficient um, uh, assumptions or budget assumptions to really plan out seven or eight years. So obviously after year three year four, that some assumptions in hold and the budget has to be revised. And again, I think the it's is flexible in listening and having the, you know, intense discussions with the grantee and being able to come up with something that works for both parties. So I'll stop there, see if there are um, any other questions.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, I I hope before the hour gets up, we can find out a little bit more um, about Maza and the fact that that has been one of the results of this uh, experience uh, for you, putting your energies there. Um, We do have a question, and uh, John, just to maybe gin people up, thank you all for being a very patient audience with all our connections, and I'm so appreciative uh, of, of, of your patience and of being able to talk about this. John, just remind people about chat.
1: Yeah, if you're going to ask a question in the chat, make sure that they are sent to all participants in the send to bar down on the bottom right hand of the screen. Okay, thank you very much. Well, Nana, let me
0: throw this question to you. Somebody is saying, in my experience in Ghana, I also found that women have a fear and resistance to going to clinics based on cultural traditional beliefs. What was done to begin to change perceptions of mothers about seeking medical help? Um, Thanks.
3: Yes, I think that's really complex specific. In some regions of the country, care teaching behavior, especially um, in the Phoenix, is quite high and reliable. I think the challenge comes uh, when it comes to labor and delivery when it may happen unplanned, it may happen in the middle of the night where it's not easy to walk long distances in the rural areas. So um, depending on the context, we may not have a problem with care seeking. In fact, one of the things about the QI approach is that we have to spend time trying to really get to the bottom of the problem. Oftentimes the problem that's assumed at regional or district level is not relevant in it's a sub-district. So listening to the health workers, listening to the community members, we might find that you know the, that particular community is quite happy to seek care. They just don't have money to get there or they don't have transportation or whatever it is. But there are some areas, definitely, that some areas where women are seen to be uh, brave when they deliver at home versus when they go to a health facility, or there might be some cultural barriers against modern medicine. And again, you have to just tease out what's going on so that you can offer changes or change ideas that are relevant to that context.
0: Were there lots of cultural differences across districts uh, as, you know, when you talk about scale up and the different waves, it meant entering into different areas? And I'm wondering, uh, were there different issues uh, that might have manifested itself uh, because it was a new new place, a a new uh, community?
4: Hello, Maybe I'll jump in here because, actually, before we did the referral for work, where we incorporated community members, we did some baseline surveys. And I think there were two main factors that influenced the decision of mothers to deliver in the facilities. One had to do with the attitude of health workers. They felt that they were being disrespected, being shouted at, being asked to go home, even when they felt that their labor was fairly advanced. That was the first thing. The second thing had to do with the fear of being operated upon you know, because this was done in six districts, but in one particular district hospital, they felt that the hospital had the the tendency to operate on a number of women who came and they didn't like that, so that also really took them away. And then perhaps the third related thing has to do with the existence of traditional bed attendants who are very influential in a number of communities, you know. so. There's, they treat the woman with more respect. They stay with the woman throughout the labor process, and the woman felt certainly more comfortable with them, which is why the intervention within that aspect of the project worked. Because these traditional birth attendants got them to be part of the learning network, and then to learn about maternal and newborn danger science, and to understand that not all babies could actually be delivered in the, in the communities. And the most important thing is that all this was done in a non-judgmental manner. So they felt it was collaborative and in some cases their support was enlisted within the facility to conduct deliveries.
0: Sochi it's so good to hear your voice again I'm glad you're back too along with Nana and hi to Nneka and the team there uh, let me throw another question at you somebody is asking uh, about a turning point what led the government to become one of the biggest advocates uh, for this work as things were scaling up Did was it results uh, was it building relationships uh, all of the above uh, what, what would you point to
3: The so of Ghana has a national ambulance service, and um, every district um, has a, at least one ambulance public stores. There are some districts that are wealthier than they have private sector ambulances as well. Uh, but these ambulances typically are not sufficient to cover the entire district. The district in Ghana may be 100,000 people with one ambulance which might be engaged at any time when a pregnant woman in labor needs it. So, in some settings, uh, as you mentioned earlier, communities have come. Up, I think Pierre mentioned it. Communities have come up with uh, community-based transportation solutions using various uh, assets, community-level assets. Um, in other settings, uh, in the urban areas, you can imagine that people rely very heavily on private vehicles. Taxis can get them to wherever they need to go in a hurry. In rural areas, there aren't as many vehicles around, so it's harder to rely on private and people tend to rely more on public, except the public can't uh, meet all the needs of a large district. So we are in transition. Like the National Regional Service has plans for expansion and we are encouraging uh, private public partnerships, uh, people being creative and trying to figure out other ways to achieve the same goal.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Um, and what were, there's a, was it around, uh, so we're talking about uh, Soji. So Pierre's sending me a note here. Thank you. Was that Nana, by the way? <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing correctly. Uh, the, the issue about the government as becoming a big advocate, uh, how, how would you answer that question in terms of government? Soji, what do you think?
4: Okay. So my understanding of the question is how did the government. To make up and supportive of the intervention.
0: Yeah, okay. it's really, the question has to do, I'm, I'm sorry, Soji, the question is, what is it that helped the government become such a big supporter of this initiative? Um, was there a particular turning point And did it, was it seeing results, okay. um, building relationships? What would you say?
4: I'll say that it starts right from the beginning when one makes the incursion into the region onto the district. So from the beginning of the design phase, so I recall one district advisor said he could not we were so flexible that we we're willing to take his feedback on, on board and design the project around his feedback. So that early by in in the sense that they had a stake in the project. And discussion over time, and the just support class. Sochi,
0: I'm gonna just uh, hold hold on one second because we're, we're we're losing a ah uh, too bad. Okay, we're gonna have to just cut cut off just for a moment there. Sochi, Sochi, can you hear me? Just because we're having a little trouble with the sound again, so um, I'm not sure if we're. I
4: can I
0: can hear you. Oh, good. Okay, sounding better again. Okay, so I, I feedback. Okay. Uh, keep going. Yep.
4: Yeah, so they felt that there were certain officials within the health system whose natural duties aligned very well with the QI structure. And to the extent that we were open to aligning our own intervention to these natural focus areas within the region, they were very excited. The second issue had to do with the results, and you cannot go wrong on the results. Because if it, the, their priorities were improving early antenatal attendance, improving skill delivery, improving postnatal care. And once we began to get these results, and their own indicators were moving, you know, they felt that really this was something to support. The other thing had to do with the transformation they saw within their own members of staff. Initially, there wasn't much buy-in from some districts or some regions. And then they would have these review meetings, and frontline staff would come and talk about rank charts, interpret rank charts, speak confidently about data, look at their own data, and not all managers were very comfortable with that type of language. They didn't even know what they were doing. And at one point, one manager called up years of this on the ground and asked them to actually now tell me exactly what you've been doing on the ground because he had taken it for granted that we were just another project. You know, so these are the, way, the ways in which we have, we have learned that. So constantly engaging, being flexible, taking feedback, and adapting your approach to shoot. It gives them the sense that this was really relevant to their their systems.
0: Wonderful. All right, uh, here's what I want to do kind of as we're going to get to the top of the hour. I also want to say to everybody, Um, Again, I want to thank everybody for your patience and understanding with the connections. I think we have definitely gotten something for for sure uh, with this connection with all of you in Ghana. Uh, I want to tell people that this work is all going to be presented also at IHI's forum this year. We'll come back to it on uh, WIHI. Um, You know, we'll keep working on the technical bugs. Maybe also we can schedule something when folks are here in the studio. But I think thematically, let's move now to talking about about sustainability. Uh, there's a lot to celebrate about what has happened with Project Fives Alive on the ground in Ghana. There's work in multiple countries now pulling from some of of these of this work and learning. Uh, again, want to encourage people to download the guide. Pierre, let me start with you around sustaining uh, things. As folks are going to be winding down at least this active initiative, and in some ways the reins turn over to all those now on the ground, uh, in the systems, uh, in the communities, in the healthcare systems, to carry on. Um, what would you say? Uh, what does that this phase feel like uh, in in a project?
2: Yeah, this is a, an exciting and quite a critical time because the last thing we want is just to see this work. Uh, kind of disappear and uh, and and for the system to kind of revert to its, its its previous state. And I don't think that that's going to happen because there's a lot of thinking, uh, you know, between Soji and and Necker and others about what, where we go from here. And and I'll let them talk more about that. Um, I think just uh, you know in principle what what we've got here is a is a government that is has now paying a lot of attention to. What has happened? I don't think, and for all the reasons that, that Soji has described, they're seeing data on a regular basis. They're seeing the excitement of the teams uh, on the ground, and most importantly, they're actually seeing uh, real impact. So they need no persuading uh, of the value of of what uh, has been done. And the potential for it, for spreading this uh, into the future. And I think what what needs to happen now is is to support them uh, to to really think about well what will it take uh, to sustain uh, the gains and to to build on them and, and to you know make sure that this this really does continue. Um, I think you know there are um, areas around uh, organisation of your of the the quality structures in 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 Ghana that 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 uh, we're thinking about. Certainly, we're thinking a lot about uh, capability building. And there's some really exciting uh, thinking going on, which I'll uh, punt over to, to uh, Soji and, and Necker about, about really sustaining the, the, the core of improvement capability that has been built up uh, 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 over this time to sustain Ghana into the future.
0: Thank you. All right, Soji and Nekka, talk about the, this uh, inc- exciting improvement capability that bodes well uh, for this work uh, being sustained. Uh, so whoever wants to go first. Is
4: still there. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, what, hello. Mark, can you hear
0: I sure can. What I
4: talked about earlier... I hear you. Loud okay, the improvement coach? The Improvement Coach curriculum. This is a 10-week program. It's delivered over seven days, um, three days, with about five to six weeks in between. And the coaches get to run an improvement project during the course of this training. And there's a longitudinal aspect of it where after the training, they are paired with project offices. This is PSA officers Enjoy side visits. The aim is that over time, they should be able to independently visit and mentor QI teams. Um, I think working with us, we've also been able to come up with some new curriculum called the Leading and Facilitation Program. And this is something that we have done in, um, in Ethiopia. Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, a number of places. And again, it's a very simplified version. It is hands-on. It is applicable to people's independent projects, And the feedback has been fantastic, you know, because it's something that people can really identify with. As far as institutionalizing QI is concerned, um, you may be aware that IHR has led what we are now calling developing and implementing national quality strategies. And this has been done in places like Ethiopia and then Nigeria. You would see that in the PFA strategy, it was more of a bottom-up approach, you know. And the attempt with these quality strategy development is to get systems at a very high level, high policy level, so that quality is really mainstream. So the thinking along this line is, given that they are monitoring business, could we turn these into learning for us. Could we change the conversation around a core quality indicator that measure performance, and link it to improvement teams on the ground? In Ghana, for example, we have the clinical audit team of the National Health Insurance Authority. They vet claims that are submitted by the facility, and clear issues of quality gaps in clinical care. But there is no clear factor for linking gaps back to improvement teams on the ground to improve them. You know, so there is clearly opportunity. To further this discussion, and I know that IHI is is having some ongoing discussions with the Gates Foundation to see how we can, you know, sector institutionalize what we have done.
0: Okay, thank you, Sochi. <laughs> so, I I really thank you for. Uh, all your hard work over all these years, I know you're continuing with, with, with hard work uh, as this, um, as the transition uh, comes about. And uh, Neka, let me just, you know, as your sort of final comments, I mean, you're looking at lessons learned from Ghana and their applicability to um, other countries' to settings. And uh, I'm sure that's very exciting as we get engaged uh, in some other areas.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, as I highlighted earlier, there are multiple lessons um, that we can do from the experience of the Project Five to Life team. Uh, but I really do want to highlight this notion of, of investing in, in improving, building improvement capability from the community on the, all the way up. And, you know, it, it, I remember a couple of years ago talking to Nana about this um, in Ghana and the impact of Pfizer Alive, and, and, and kind of how distinctive it was from several other QI entities. And her saying to me, look, if you think about our medical education, no one's under-focused under on investing in us. There was significant investment in building in our clinical capabilities. Why should we not do the same for the QI world and for the folks that were supporting? So that's what I take in. If we really want to build a cadre of problem solvers, essentially leverage innovation from, the, from, from, from different parts of the system and make sustainable improvement, we've got to invest in building capability. And, and, and I'll say as we kind of look at the global development agenda, in some of the reluctance to invest in capability building, to invest in training and mentoring coaching, I think because of a, a, a concern about linking it to results. But we're going to lose out if we don't do that. We've got to make those investments, whether we're in Africa, whether we're in Latin America, whether, we've got to do that if we want to see sustained and dramatic
0: health. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Necker. just a very quick question, and then we are going to need to wrap up. Somebody is asking, I mean, would you say also this investment includes making sure that local health workers and community members... Uh, maybe with limited experience in some of these improvement skills, including data collection, that that's an investment that's also really important in terms of sustainability. Somebody's asking in particular about data collection. Whoops, did we... In
3: terms kind of the work that we do across the world, we often show pictures of, of folks holding flip charts um, with one chart um, at, at the community level, you know, we're in these areas where you have traditional birth attendance, chemical sellers, et cetera, understanding data. So I no longer accept this notion that data is, can be foreign to different tiers of the system. Everyone can understand data. Everyone should have the right um, to have access to data, data feedback systems, so they can make improvements, and we've seen that, and I, and I, and I think if you kind of think about North America, there are, really, there are real opportunities to build that capability in our communities, in areas where there are disparities, in areas where we're seeing inequities in healthcare, care, and essentially build the, the, those capabilities in understanding data and tracking data, looking at disparities and leveraging um, that data to make to make change.
0: Okay. Wow. All right. So, are
4: so, about the way in which content is given at these lower levels? In some of our sessions, we've had to deliver content in purely local language using relevant examples, like from the field of agriculture uh, that people can identify with. So you talk about the model for improvement using pregnancy. What is the main outcome that you want as a mother out of your pregnancy? And relating it, people can identify with. You don't need to be overly technical and explain in a simple language that people can identify with. I mean, these are some of the other strategies that have come out.
0: Right. All right. Uh, thank you, Soji. All right. Additional um, helpful uh, thoughts there. All right. We're going to wrap up. We are at the top of the hour, believe it or not. And I want to thank all our guests and all the efforts for the team uh, in in Ghana today to join with us. Soji Soji Teti, uh, Neka, Mobisan Etuk, and we also heard from Nana Twamdanso. And thank you, Lauren Macy, who's behind the scenes there helping with the connectivity. I I want to also thank Kavita uh, Patel uh, for I'll get you for your role and sorry we didn 't get to swing back to you one more time, but i 'm so grateful that you were a part of this, and we look forward to continuing to learn from you and your work and Thank you as always, Pierre uh, and for bringing a ringer in here and helping us uh, when we had some connection issues so uh, thanks everyone. Um, again, you can download lessons learned from Ghana's Project Fives Alive. It is really an outstanding publication. I, I suppose you could say I'm biased, but I, the team that worked on this, they poured their hearts and souls and seven years of work into this because of the belief that there is so much that is valuable wherever you're working on this kind of change around the world. Next up on WIHI, we're going to take a little bit of a break in August, um, and uh, then we'll be back in September, and we're going to start off with what students in the health professions can do for you and improvement, and there's more on that uh, on the schedule page on um, IHI.org. A reminder, you can download the chat uh, from today's program, any slides we used, and we very much appreciate your filling out a brief survey and letting us know how we did today and if this was of value. We certainly hope it was, Um, and as of later today or early tomorrow morning, you can find the link to this program on IHI.org. Any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org as well. So the people who make WIHI possible include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jesse McCall, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Ruth James, and I want to give a special thanks uh, for the help with today's program. Those people include Lauren Macy, uh, Sophia Tashom, and Tariqua, excuse me, Lavea. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, thanks for joining everyone. I'm Matt Kaplan. Good day.